Ever wondered what goes on in the mind of a podcast advertiser? Like, how do they choose the shows that are good enough to be advertised on? Or, what should we do or not do in order to make ourselves desirable for podcast advertisers? Well, that's why I invited Adam to the show in order for us to get a good glimpse and understanding on what podcast advertisers think. And here's my conversation with him. Clueless Entrepreneurs, welcome to The Clueless Entrepreneur, brought to you by the Msane Podcast Network. My name is Dawood Limsana and I am a clueless entrepreneur. I'm trying to build a podcast business but have no idea what to do or where to start. If you can relate to this, then you're listening to the right podcast. Because this podcast is about helping you and I as clueless entrepreneurs to be better entrepreneurs who have successful podcast businesses. So, my question is to you. Are you ready to be less clueless? Thank you very much, Adam, for joining me for today's episode of the Clueless Podcast Entrepreneur. Um, so before we start, I'd really like to get to know you a bit more. Uh, so can you just please perhaps tell us a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'm the VP of Marketing at Adopter Media. We're a podcast advertising agency. We help brands scale their businesses through sponsoring different podcasters. So we do about $20 million a year in ad spend podcast world. We work with about two dozen different brands from Magic Spoon Cereal to Blue Chew to Stance Socks and pretty much everything in between. Wow. Wow. I mean, that really sounds exciting um, to, to have someone, especially who's working within the podcast industry. Um, and to hear that, I mean, it really, really is, you know, something which is really interesting. Um, and perhaps just to ask you just one more question. Um, what got you into the space? You know, what got you into this industry and to doing what you're specifically doing? Yeah, that's a bit of a fun story. Uh, I think I got into podcasting as a whole, not just podcast advertising, completely by accident. So I started a podcast about two years ago in a bit without knowing that I started a podcast. It was in the beginning of 2020, 2020, almost three years ago now. Uh, And it was during the height of everything shutting down. And I was playing a game called Kanama. And I started a podcast uh, about Kendama through my Instagram lives. I would just go live every weekend and I'd talk to someone and I didn't really know that it was a podcast until someone maybe eight episodes in messaged me and said, Hey, I love listening to these, but I travel on the road often. I can't catch them. You think you could take the audio from them and upload them to a podcast platform so I could listen there. And so sure enough, I figured out a way to do that, uploaded it and slowly built an audience. We got to about a thousand listeners a week and sponsorships and kind of grew a business out of it. And then Through that, I ended up uh, using some of my experience in that world of podcasting at the work that I was doing at the time for Fume and said, hey, well, we should do some podcast advertising. It's working on my show. Why wouldn't it work for our business? And so we took about $3,000 of spend, put it into some podcasting at Fume, and then that grew to about $500,000 in the year. And then uh, basically, as a result of me doing that work, which was also kind of by accident, because I never intended to do podcasting stuff there either. I ended up getting a job here at Adopter Media. I still work with Fume doing their podcast stuff and now get to do more podcast work with a lot of different brands in the podcast space. So it's kind of wow. a long roundabout story, but it was all accidental. 
uh, but I love yeah. it. It's it's pretty crazy, hey. It, it really is um, that you got into this by accident, and now I mean it's your life basically. Um, mm-hmm. But a crazy and interesting and and really fun story. Um, so I just want to know. I mean, you were talking about brands right now, so I'd really like to to maybe find out from you. You know, when you are you know doing you know what you are doing um, in the space that you are in of podcast advertising when brands contact you, you know, and they're looking for podcasts to work with, do they have perhaps any requirements or specifications or perhaps types of podcasts that they are looking for that they'd like to work with? They do. I'm going to give you the truth though. I feel like a lot of brands don't always know what's best for them. Uh, Sometimes I think a lot of brands come in with a lot of expectations about what's going to work and what's not going to work. And oftentimes we have to kind of Uh, you know, lead them to the water that's the truth. And sometimes their assumptions of what's going to be good for them isn't what they're looking for. So typically what we do is we like to work with the brands to assess what their actual goals are. Are they trying to get revenue? Where, what kind of content do they typically align with, et cetera? Or if they're working with influencers on YouTube or Instagram, I like to ask questions about that and try to get to the source uh, problem or the source uh, answer that they're looking for or solution that they're looking for. And uh, ultimately, that's where I tend to start. Now, most clients, if we ask them, you know, what is your number one goal? They're going to tell us, we well, we want to grow, we want to scale, we want to make money. Um, so outside of that, everything's kind of secondary. Uh, I think the secondaries are where your question really lies is what kind of content, um, what kind of specifications. And that can come down to a couple different things. Depending on budget and depending on the type of product, size of the show matters a little bit, content of the show matters. Um, some brands really don't want to be on anything political or news-based. Some brands really want to be on true crime for some reason because they've heard everything about true crime. Uh, I think those would be the general assumptions. But ultimately, I think brands are slowly getting more educated on the podcast space. So they're coming in with all these sorts of assumptions on, oh, well, we need a lower CPM or we need to be on shows that have high advertiser rates or these sorts of things. I think this is a part of a byproduct of some of our work that we do, where we do a lot of this education uh, and mm-hmm. it's turning in our favor where brands are coming in more equipped for the space. But yeah, the requirements are usually a little vague and partly that's because they don't know enough about the podcast world. And it's still a bit of a black box mystery for a lot of brands. Mm, wow. That is really, really quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just want to know from you, that when you have received, you know, a brand's, um, you know, brief or whatever it is that they're looking for, what do you then, you know, what what type of brands or, I mean, podcasts are you looking for, you know, that have, you know, that have an edge, you know, that appeal to you guys as podcast advertisers? Mm. So there is a clear line of what brands do well and what brands don't do well in podcast advertising. I think, in my opinion, the brands that do the best in podcast advertising are brands that have a unique profile. They are serving a unique audience or they have something very, very standout about their product. What I mean by that is if you're a general store kind of a brand where you have 50 different products, you have so many different offerings, it's kind of vague, you're a big business or anything like that, you're going to have a really hard time getting a loyal audience. Podcasters are inherently loyal people. They tend to listen to the same show on repeat. They tend to buy from the same brands on repeat. And they're looking for that one product that you have. They want to know what your best thing is and they want to get it. And you can leverage that through the influence of the podcaster that they listen to. So for example, like Athletic Greens is a great example because they really did start out with just one product that they advertise in podcast.
best advertising. Magic Spoon Cereal, they're one of our bigger clients. They are kind of similar. They have different flavors, but it's one core product. It's healthy cereal, a cereal that is good for you. Uh, the products that tend to have a harder time or the brands that have a harder time are like big box retailer clothing brands, because how do you communicate a brand of clothing effectively through a podcast when they have 60 different types of uh, clothing lines? It's really hard to get that whole ethos communicated to a podcast audience, aside from talking about the brand mission, which can be impactful, but it's a lot more challenging. And the attribution side is even messier. So I really, really like single products uh, that are really dedicated to a particular audience. One of my favorite clients that I get to work with is Lomi. They make a in-home countertop compost composter. It's like an electric composter. You throw your food scraps in, pumps out dirt a couple hours later. Really cool. It serves high-income earning audiences, and it does really well in the podcast space for those reasons. It's one product. There's not a lot of everything else involved. It's just one thing, easy to communicate, and it's targeting the right audience because it's uh, podcast listeners are tend to be, or they tend to be uh, high income earners. So they're a good good product fit for the market of podcasting. Wow! And what are the best type of podcasts, perhaps you know, which are podcast advertising worthy, if I can say? Uh, which are the best podcasts uh, to advertise on? Fundamentally, the the key indicator is cult-like influence. And what I mean by that is audiences that are incredibly loyal to a particular host. And sometimes those are the weirdest types of content-based podcasts and news and politics. News and politics consistently, you look at any of the primary DR brands that advertise in the podcast world, if you go to Magellan.ai or you go to Podscribe and you were to look up those brands, you're going to see that every single brand that is very focused on DR is advertising a lot on comedy and a lot on news and politics because those are the genres that tend to convert the best for clients. They're also lower CPM, so they tend to just do better because they're easier to get on, they're lower cost, and the ads tend to do really well there. So um, those two genres, but outside of that, it's about finding cult-like audiences. It's finding that one influencer out there that happens to have a loyal audience that only listens to that influencer and listens to pretty much everything that they say. There's a there's a few small shows that exist that are like a couple thousand downloads and they will outperform shows that have a hundred thousand downloads per episode because that audience is just more loyal to that host than that other host who has a hundred thousand. Look at large shows that are like Conan O'Brien whatnot. I can find you a hundred shows that will probably outperform Conan O'Brien that are about the 10th of the size just because of the host and audience relationship. So when it comes to the old age question of does size matter in the podcasting space? I guess it really, really doesn't. Is, is that what you doesn't to say? No way. <laughs> I, I think so. You know, it doesn't really matter, um, but it can be helpful. So, you know, it's, it's about magnifying. Uh, if you have a host that has insane loyalty out of their audience, I would love to find a host that has insane loyalty over a 1 million per episode audience. That's just hard to find. It's a lot easier to find those cult-like audiences when the audiences are small because they're able to retain that influence because they have a deeper connection to that audience, especially if it's smaller. Um, for example, like my show, I ran a show that had about a thousand weekly listeners and I had a coffee sponsor and we did about $5,000 of sales every month for that coffee brand. Uh, and it was a really, really high return on ad spend for Insane. them and a really high conversion rate. But I had a very loyal audience that was dedicated to me and my show. It was like probably the only show that most of them ever have listened to. My audience was not normal podcast listeners. 
uh, but it converted really well for this coffee brand. So I would love to find more shows like that. Uh, it's just hard to find, whether they're big or small. Those don't exist in mass numbers. Even though a lot of people think they have cult-like audiences, I don't think every show does, and definitely not every show. How do you determine that, that you know, this podcast has a cult-like you know, audience? How do you, as a podcaster, like, see that this audience that I have is very, very loyal? Maybe is there a way to test that, perhaps? Mm-hmm. There are ways to test it, and there's ways that I look at to see if the host has tested that. So for example, one way that I would test a cult-like audience is for myself, I ran a Patreon. I also had my own products that I was selling on the side. I also had other things like an an event that I hosted. So I had about a thousand people that would listen to my podcast. I have an event that I host in Canada, which most of my audience is American. um, And I would get about 100 to 150 people coming out to my event. And so of a thousand people that were listening or about 3000 people that followed me on Instagram, I would get about 150 people that were coming. That's over 10% of my audience. That's a pretty large percentage of people taking a physical action to show up at an event, which is kind of crazy when you really think about it. And they're flying, they're paying hundreds of dollars to come out to this event. Um, Secondly, a Patreon. If you can already get your audience to pay for content that you're creating to support you, that's a good symbol or a good signal to me that your audience has money and they're willing to give it to you for your recommendations or for your content. That's a second way. Then thirdly, if you have an affiliate program, this is how I originally tested sponsorship. Coffee brand that I worked with, and this is how I know that I was driving $5,000 of sales a month for them, I had an affiliate deal with them. So every sale that I would give to them, I would get a paycheck for essentially 10%. And so I would get paid about $500 a month uh, and they would get $5,000 of sales essentially because whatever sales that they got, I would get paid. And that was a way for me to test if I had influence to sell to my audience. And so fundamentally, that was like the baseline. So when I look for small shows, particularly, I love to check if they have a Patreon. If they have a Patreon and it's thriving, they got hundreds of people on there, even you know relative to their size, maybe they only have a thousand listeners, but they have a hundred people on Patreon. That's really good. And I would look at that and I'd say, take my money. We can probably sponsor this and it's probably going to work. Wow. I mean, I really am interested in, you know, knowing how you managed to like build that cult-like audience. Perhaps can you just please share a little bit about how you managed to build such a loyal, you know, fan base? Because I'm really like interested and mind boggled right now. Yeah. You know, I, I don't ever think I really set out to do it. And I think, I have to speak from like a place of, I was really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And I think I had a lot of advantages in my favor there because I was in the world of Kendama. Uh, It's a Japanese ball and cup game. And there's really only one other podcast that was in that space too now, I think. And there was one that was like the legacy show that had been around for a long time. It only did an episode every month or so. My show just kind of happened to show up at the right time and start to build an audience in the middle of everything being shut down. It was kind of the one pillar that everybody was able to come and gather around for community when everything was shut down. So I just built a loyalty. I had really transparent conversations with people in the community. And I also created a component to my show that was live. This is where I think the real bread and butter to my podcast ended up working is that the show was hosted live. So if you and I were having this conversation on my show, there would be a live feed of questions coming in on the side, people engaging on Instagram live. I couldn't filter anything. I couldn't 
stop you from cussing. I couldn't stop you from going on a rampage or what I couldn't stop you from doing anything. It was just so authentic and real. I had people share their pregnancy announcements on my podcast. I had wow. people crying on my podcast. I had people going like it was a very authentic experience for the listeners. And so they trusted it. They knew that it wasn't fake. They knew it wasn't curated. And so there was a sense of loyalty and connection to the point where I could see people in the chat and I'd call them out by name and I'd say, Oh, Dylan, welcome back. I've seen, dude, you've been showing up every week for the past couple of weeks. Really appreciate it. Whatever it is, I would be able to communicate to the audience. And that was such an integral part to my show. But I don't think that's for every show. It just happened to be what worked for mine. And so there ended up being this you know, cycle of connection where I think the listeners of my show felt like they really knew me. And part of it was I felt like I really knew them. Uh, and I still do know them to the point when I go down to events in the States for Kendama. I showed up to the national event and I haven't ran an episode for like a year. 95% of the people there knew me by name and came up and said, thank you for the podcast to help me get through some wow. rough times or whatever it was. So I don't know there. I, I feel like I got really lucky in terms of timing and placement, but it was also just about having real conversations and authentic influence. Mm, wow. Wow. I mean, what I really picked up, you know, from that is, you know, this aspect of building a community, you know, um, and, I think it's something which is very much possible when you do have a niche-based topic. I think something we really try and go for is try and go big as possible, be general and things like that. But I think doing that does perhaps, you know, um, it takes away the opportunity for us to be able to create an, a, like a, an audience, a tight-knit audience, which will be able mm -hmm. to, you know, know you, understand you, like you, and end up, you know, being customers uh, at the end of the day. So I really love that aspect. And I think you do, you did mention something about your audience being in the States and things like that. So I'm really interested in knowing um, in terms of advertising, um, how, how does that work? You know, does, does you, you know, being in Canada um, while your audience in, is in the US, like impact, you know, the, the advertisement you know, um, and, and all that advertisements and things like that. How, how does that work? Um, I think it kind of depends. I think probably the most challenging piece can be taxes sometimes, but, uh, I think for the brands that I would tend to work with, I would tend to work with American based brands first because I knew that like 80% or 70% of my audience was American. So I would rather try to work with a brand that could serve my audience rather than a brand that couldn't. So there, it wouldn't make sense for me to take a sponsorship from an Australian brand that can only ship to Australia if I don't really have that many listeners in Australia. So I should probably take a brand or work with a brand that can ship to most of my audience. And I think that that, I don't know if many podcasters have that issue, but I think some do where they don't think about the brands that fit their audience. They think about the brands that fit them in the sense that I could be selfish and I could say, oh, I should work with a brand based in my local city. Uh, that will serve me. And I almost did. There was a coffee brand in my local city that I love a lot and I wanted to work with them. I even reached out to them. We talked, we're working something out, but I realized they couldn't really ship to most of my customer or most of my audience base. So I said, ah, it's probably not going to be a good fit. So instead I worked with a brand out of the States and it was a much, much better fit and they could still ship to me, which was perfect because I love coffee. And aren't brands like skeptical in terms of, you know, working with someone who is not within the country? Uh, sometimes, like if there's a challenge in terms of shipping product, it can be. So we run into this occasionally 
Uh, for some of our clients, uh, they have products that can't be shipped over borders. We work with a few pharmaceutical products, so they can't ship to hosts that live in Canada or they can't ship to hosts that live outside of the States because they're an FDA regulated product. Um, that can be a bit of a challenge to get through. And so we have to limit who we work with. The hosts have to be American and the audiences have to be American because if all of a sudden we're working with a UK host with a UK audience, it's, it's not going to work for anybody. So we do have to be a little picky in that regard. And for the most part, it makes the most sense if the host and their audience are in the same country, if we're trying to target that country, it just makes things simpler. It's not the be all and end all. There's plenty of shows, particularly the border between Canada and the US is a lot more transparent of what can go through and what can't. So lots of hosts live in Canada, but have an American audience. Those are usually fine to work with or vice versa. Um, but that's predominantly just what we work with. I'm sure there's lots of brands that have that kind of an experience in the UK or in the EU where they do a lot of work across the different borders in Europe. Mm. Yeah, because I, you know, am working a lot with um, an audience which is based, I think, in the US mostly. Um, so mm -hmm. I am, I was really interested in, you know, knowing how I can perhaps, you know, work with brands who which are across um the states um and yeah across my country so i really want to know from you perhaps is there something or what puts off brands um or advertisers from actually you know working with a particular podcast so controversy is the big thing now and particularly brand safety is becoming a much bigger issue now back in the day like two three years ago in the podcast world uh, there wasn't a lot of regulation in podcasting we would get 13 minute long ads from Bill Burr talking about Sherry's berries or whatever it is. And he could go off and say all sorts of things. And as long as it was bringing sales for the brand at the end of the day, the brand didn't care. Today, that's very different. Today, the FTC is starting to come in a little bit more into the podcast world. They're keeping a little bit of a closer eye. And so brand safety has become a bigger issue. Uh, it's harder and harder to work with certain creators that can't be trusted to stay on brand for what they're saying. Particularly in the comedy space, this is becoming a challenge where uh, comedy podcasters often want to go off and say whatever they want to say about a product because they think it'll be funny and they know their audience will love it. And truthfully, their audience probably will love it. However, the brand doesn't always love it. And the FTC doesn't always love it. In, let, you know, in, in extreme cases, sometimes they'll say things that are uh, not FTC compliant, which can then cause harm to the brand. So we have to be a little pickier now about what shows we work with if they're unbrand safe. Host controversy is becoming a bigger thing too. Lots of hosts have been accused of sexual allegations or sexual assault allegations, et cetera. We really do stay away from those kinds of hosts. Uh, it just can reflect negatively back on brands, et cetera. I think recently an example of this, uh, not in terms of sexual allegations, but even the types of people that you bring onto your show can cause a negative impact to a brand. For example, Lex Friedman, uh, he recently interviewed Kanye West. And as a result of that interview, there was a whole article or series of articles that were put out targeting the brands that were on that episode as being anti-Semite anti brands. And this isn't really necessarily the fault of the brands, perhaps. I don't think they intentionally knew that they were going to be on that episode or anything like that. It just was a byproduct of being there. And then they got flack for it. Brand safety is an important piece and it's becoming more important. And because of cases and reasons like that, we have to be a little bit more aware of it. So those would be a few things that we look for put-offs. And then on top of that, um, I look for brand advertising success history. So 
do you work with other advertisers? Are they staying on your show for a long period of time? Are they repeat advertisers? If they are, I probably trust you a little bit more. But if all I see is you taking a sponsor and then them not coming back, you taking another sponsor, them not coming back, you taking another sponsor, them not coming back, <clears throat> what does that tell me? That tells me that you can't sell their products. So why should I trust you with my brands to sell their products? Mm -hmm. That would be the biggest indicator to me that I shouldn't work with you. If you have a bad track history, it's like a bad resume. You switch jobs every couple months. That's not a good resume and I probably won't hire you. Additionally, if you can't keep brands on as advertisers, I'm probably not going to give you money. I, I mean, that was really, really valuable. I think it's something that sometimes slips our mind. We don't even think about. Um, and maybe just to ask you one thing. If perhaps, you know, um, there's this whole, you know, brand safety thing um, and perhaps your audience, as you said, like co comedians, audiences, might enjoy that type of content. So how can you, you know, do a balancing act? You know, should you do a balancing act whereby you actually try and satisfy the brands or advertisers to make yourself brand safe at the expense of perhaps giving your audience the best type of experience or the best type of content that you can give them? I think you should be transparent with the brand and tell them that if you don't believe that you can give them the best experience or give your audience the best experience based on the guidelines that the brand has given you, don't do it. <clears throat> Say no. Mm. Say, I can't do this in good conscience because I don't think it's going to do as well. But if you are okay with me saying these things or you're okay with me going off script in these ways and outline what that would look like or even give them an example of what the ad would sound like uh, and they say, yes, all the power to you. I think the one thing that people don't do enough of is ask for permission or uh, tell them what you're planning on doing. The one thing I don't get a lot of from podcasters is a creative pitch. I think podcasters have gotten a little bit lazy as a whole from brands. Brands will send them a brief and they'll just read it and they go, okay, that's what the brand wants. I'll just do what the brand wants. You have to take the driver's seat. The brand is giving you the car and they're saying, hey, look at this fancy car that you get to drive. And if you drive it very poorly, that's your fault <laughs> to a degree. I think it's the brand's fault if they give you a really bad car uh, and it's not designed to be driven because they've given you a terrible script or they've given you a terrible talking point outline. Um, and you can ask them, can I change this? Like, this is not good. Uh, tell them that, you know, ask them, ask for permission. But ultimately, like your responsibility is to drive the vehicle in the best way you know how to. If they've given you a Ferrari, drive that thing into the road and drive it yeah. fast because that's how it's meant to be driven. That would be the way that I would look at it. Drive with what you are given to drive. Mm. Wow. I really love that. You know, drive that Ferrari, make sure you don't crash it, make sure that you reach the finish line. I mean, that is really, really, you know, so amazing what you've shared with me has been really insightful and valuable so i really thank you very much for all your input in today's episode um you really do know what you are talking about and i'd really love to have you uh once again on my show if we do get the opportunity um so i'd really like to know from you if you do have a call to action where can we go you know maybe to, to connect with you maybe you have podcasts we can listen to what is your call to action yeah, um, you can check us out at adopter.media. We're updating our website. So right now it's a little old. It's in process of getting updated. 
But uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. LinkedIn, just search Adam McNeil or podcast and you'll probably find me, I think. Uh, and Twitter, Adam James McNeil, you should find me there. Uh, always happy to just connect with anyone in the podcast world. I love this space with everything that I have. I kind of accidentally fell into it and I've fallen in love with it. I would love to connect with you if you're a creator with your own podcast trying to figure out how to monetize. And if you just want some input from someone who's been on both sides of the monetization aisle, both giving podcasters money and receiving money as a podcaster, would love to have that conversation with you on how you can grow. Uh, and additionally, if you're a brand and trying to figure out how to navigate the podcast advertising space and you're listening, would love to help you and uh, see if maybe we can help you at Adoption Media or just set you off in the right direction with a little bit of advice so that you can figure it out your Oh, thank you very much, Adam. I mean, I think you are at such a privileged position, uh, privileged position whereby you, you know, know both sides, as you said, of the aisle. So, I mean, people should really connect with you to get that full experience and that knowledge that you possess as a result of your experience. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, go off again you know in terms of asking you a lot of questions well, but i really wanted to 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 know in terms of you mentioned linkedin um and i have been trying to get on linkedin and all that i have a profile and things like that but how important is it because i think linkedin is where you can get to actually connect with brands uh, or businesses people who are marketers and things like that like so how important is it for podcasters to actually be on a space like linkedin whereby we can connect perhaps with marketers or something like that? It probably depends on the genre. If you're a business-based podcast, it might be really wise to be on LinkedIn just because that's where businesses pay attention is they're on LinkedIn. But if you're a true crime podcast or if you're whatever other genre that exists out there, probably just stay on your platform. I think put your audience first. Don't Sponsors will come when they're meant to come is my fundamental belief. Uh, if you're not being reached out to, well, I think, okay, I'll retract that a little bit. Cause I do think you have to show some initiative in finding that first sponsor or two. But after that, if you've proven your track history, working with brands, more sponsors will come. But I think focus on where your audience is. I ran my entire podcast on the world of Instagram. That was where my entire audience was. I didn't spend any effort on Twitter. didn't spend any effort on TikTok or LinkedIn or anything like that because it wasn't worthwhile, because none of my audience was there. Sure, I could have maybe tried to network with some sponsors there, but it just wasn't worth it. I'd rather network with my sponsors on Instagram where they could see my audience. They knew that I had X thousands of people listening because they could see it there. Similarly, on LinkedIn, like business podcasts, Jay Shetty, for example, uh, if you know who Jay Shetty is, he has, I don't know, tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. That's a pretty good audience on LinkedIn. And he has a podcast. I'm probably going to trust it when he reaches out to me on LinkedIn and says, Hey, do you guys want to sponsor my podcast? I have X tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of listeners. And I go to his LinkedIn and I say, Oh, he does have tens of thousands of followers. He probably does have a pretty big audience on his podcast. I should take this guy more seriously. Yeah. But if you reach out to me on your Twitter and you tell me that, you know, I have a hundred thousand downloads a week on my podcast or whatever, but you have 10 followers on Twitter. Do you really? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, thank you very much for that. Because um, I was really, really thinking about, you know, going more on LinkedIn. I mean, I think it is important for me and the genre I'm in. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do, you know, now understand the value of it and the value of using the platform, um, which you are best at or which where your audience is in order to leverage that to get some sponsors. So, 
I mean, thank you very much for that, you know, for all of your insights and the knowledge that you shared. Um, really appreciate it and really hope that uh, we can have this conversation sometime in the future. I'd really like to have you Absolutely. and I'm sure the audience would like to as well. So, yeah, thank you very much, Adam. Thank you very much to everyone who's listening at home. Make sure that you listen to the next episode of the Clueless Podcast Entrepreneur. See you next time. Thank you very much, Adam, for coming on the show and sharing such valuable insights for us. I mean, I am so mind-boggled and blown by everything that was shared today. And I hope you guys found value in this. Please do go and DM him, connect to them so that you can perhaps ask some questions that you are curious about. I know that, um, yeah, you guys will still find value even after the show. So make sure that you catch the episode after this one in order for you to learn how to be less clueless. Remember, entrepreneurs, that it's okay to be clueless. So long as you're listening to this podcast, you won't be clueless for long.